on a second. Are we live? Are we good? Okay. So if you're joining us live, we're glad to have you online. And uh, I know we have a few folks that are guests this morning. We're glad that you're with us. Pray that you enjoy your time here at HBF today. We're in a study called Heart Issues. We've been going through the book. Well, not the book. We're not going through a book. It's one of the few times I do a topical series. So we're going through several aspects of, of really our human nature and things that God uh, needs us to address so that we can really function properly uh, in our in our life with lo- the Lord, our life with one another, corporately as a church, in your families, and in our communities. And so this morning we're going to be talking about arresting anger, arresting anger. And if you have your Bibles, we turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 26 through 32. And if you don't have a Bible, um, if you're a guest and you want to grab one out of the gift bag that we gave you, you can use that one. Or there's one in the seat rack in front of you that you can grab and we'll be on page 1,500. 65, 1565. And uh, it seems like everyone is, if you notice, it seems like everyone's angry nowadays. I mean, everyone's got a beef with somebody, and uh, everyone's on edge, a little angry. And so this morning, I want to just take some time and talk about that because we're going to be dealing with this subject of arresting anger before it causes strife. And we live in a world that is highly volatile, and the hearts of many are growing colder and and natural aff- affection for mankind is evaporating in a sea of never-ending offenses. And uh, it's just one offense after the next. And Jesus said it would get like this. And it's actually going to grow worse as we draw closer to the catching away of the church and the beginning of sorrows, which is the first three and a half years of Daniel's 70th week. For those of you that study end times and, and, uh, and all of those things, uh, we commonly refer to that period as a tribulation period. The first three and a half years are the beginning of sorrows and the abominations of desolations forward would be the great tribulation in matthew 24 and verse 7 jesus said this about uh, the beginning of sorrows uh, which happens after the catching away of the church it says for nations shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there shall be uh, famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places and and so nations aren't going to get along people aren't going to get along in verse 12 of that same chapter he said and because uh, iniquity shall abound the love of many shall wax cold and so uh, that's not a really good forecast. It's like going into winter. You're like, Brian, you're saying it's going to get colder, not warmer. Well, I hate to tell you, sometimes you just can't control the weather, right? It just is what it is. And that is a season that, that seems like the world is entering into. But the good news is the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings, and it is going to be great. But before that time, uh, you know, there's some things that we need to be doing, and that is making sure that we are right with God and we're right with one another so that we can have an impact on the people in which we have to do while we're still here. So we're not, we're not to that point yet, right? We're not out of here. We're still here, and God wants us to have fruit, and much fruit and fruit that remains. And even though we can feel the pains of labor, and we can see uh, the evidence of, of what's beginning to occur in regard to Israel and the kingdom of heaven on this earth, uh, until Jesus comes for us, we need to be very careful not to get caught up in the spirit of anger and strife designed to tear down the kingdom of God instead of building it up because we are still here to be constructive, not destructive. We are here to build the kingdom of God, not to destroy the kingdom of God. We are not ministers of destruction, at least not yet, uh, but we are ministers of reconciliation. We are ambassadors for Christ. Now, Revelation 19, when we return with the Lord Jesus Christ, will be a whole other issue as we set up the kingdom with him. But for today, we are ministers of reconciliation. And so I've asked you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm, I'm going to ask uh, if you just, in honor of God's word, let's stand together. This won't be a lot of reading, but it is enough that I think we need to stand and, and honor God's word this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 26 and read down through verse 32. 
Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. The Bible says, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed until the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for these words from the Apostle Paul. They give us guidance, they give us insight, they give us direction and directives on how we need to behave ourselves in the household of God. As this book is about the body being fitly joined and fitly framed and coming together, Lord, in, in unity around the, the purposes that you have for your church, Lord, I pray to God this morning we would come together around your word and the purposes that you have for us as individuals, but also, Lord, as a body of Christ and also, uh, Lord, for the benefit of those that are here. Lord, help us to be these that Paul is writing about. Help us to be like that church at Ephesus and uh, at least the good things, Lord, and help us not to repeat the bad. Oh, Heavenly Father, we can't do anything without you. Without you, uh, Lord, we are just absolutely uh, miserable. We're all men most miserable. But because of you, Lord, uh, there's so much that, that, that can be done for your name, for your kingdom, just like we sang. And so, Father, I pray this morning that we would just set ourselves aside and you'd speak to our hearts from your word and that you would be glorified. Lord, we thank you and we praise you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So this morning we're going to be talking about arresting anger. And, and the first thing that we're going to see in regard to arresting anger is, is making peace with God. Making peace with God. Because when you think about anger, uh, I think there's not a person in this room, if you're honest, that hasn't at some time, at some point, struggled with anger. Anger is an emotion. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But the reality is, 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 is there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of, usually anger is often a symptom of some other action that's been uh, you know, uh, put upon us. And so it, it's usually a response. And so, this, this, but there's others, if you can remember, some of you guys, it's been a while since you've been, you've been born again, but there's folks that just are stewing with anger. You know, before you get saved, oftentimes, you just are full of anger. But then once you get saved, it just kind of evaporates. And uh, God just takes that away. And really, the, the essence of, of the bitterness and the strife and all of the things that, that go on in the human heart can only be remedied through a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so... Uh, it does us no good to really um, try to deal with anger if we haven't made peace with God. The, the very, I mean, this is really the, the whole issue of, of anger, is making peace with God and making sure He is our Lord and Savior. Now, Psalm 7 and verse 11 is a verse that may surprise some of you. Others of you may know this verse, but it says, God judges the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. Well, that's a strange way to start off a message on anger. But God is angry too. Did you know that? Because when you start thinking about anger and who's justifiably angry and offended, oftentimes we don't think about God because he's so gracious and he's so good. If you were here last week, that's all we talked about was the goodness and the graciousness of God. And, and that's awesome. I'm glad I was able to front load that message before I get to this one. Because the reality is, is, is what Psalm 7 and verse 11 says is true. God judgeth the righteous. Uh, if you're born again, you're going to be at the, at, the, uh, at the judgment seat of Christ. And God is angry with the wicked every day. 
So making peace with others does us no good if we do not make peace with God. So this may seem like a strange way to start the message on anger, but it's necessary for the present distress because we live in a world that has no idea of the holiness of God. And this year's theme at HBF is, is wholeness, right, in holiness. It's wholeness in holiness. We, we, don't, you know, we don't make ourselves holy. We are holy because he is holy. Christ in us makes us holy. We are positionally holy, of course, but also in practice and practicality, it's also Christ in us that, that makes us holy. And wholeness comes in knowing him and being like him. And so, um, so there are those that, that do not believe that God even exists, and they certainly do not think uh, that there are consequences for sinful and, and a godless lifestyle. And so there are many lost men who have more sense than men and women standing in pulpits preaching hateful messages toward God's character in the name of tolerance, love, and unity. Because what, always, what, what sometimes is hateful toward God doesn't always come across as hateful in speech. But when you hate the things that God hates and you practice uh, you know, promoting that, then guess what? You're working against God Almighty. There's a reason that he's angry with the wicked every day because they're working against his grace and his goodness and his love. The word of God has a message for those rascals. In Isaiah 4, 5 and verse 20, the Bible says, Woe unto them that call good, I'm sorry, that call evil good and good evil, and put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. You see, that is one of the ways that we get angry when things get all messed up and turned around and backwards. That's one of the things that makes God angry. When we, you know, this world right now in general, as we notice, it assaults God's character more and more increasingly. You know, I've been saved now for over 30 years. And uh, there's not, you know, as the days go on, there's less and less and less respect for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The name of the Lord Jesus Christ is not honored in this world. Now, we shouldn't expect it to be, but we have lived in kind of a, one of the best case scenarios in this particular country. Now, if you come up in India or some other country, the name of Christ is a byword, and, and it will be and will continue to be. At least it's even honored among Muslims as a prophet. But when you say Jesus Christ is God, oh, man, all of a sudden you have, you have committed a, 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 a criminal act, literally. And so, uh, you know, now before you think I, I sound too judgmental, I need you to understand that, that I used to be in that camp. I used to be a lost man. I used to, I used to be... Uh, I used to be an angry man before I was lost, or a young, a young man. In Ephesians 2 and verse 12, the Bible says that, that at that time, ye, Brian, were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And I tell you, when you live in this life and you have no hope and you're without God, you know, one of the attributes of that is just simply being angry. Because nothing seems fair. Because, well, frankly... Uh, life is not fair. Newsflash. <laughs> Man, wasn't that a message that we need to start teaching in school? Life is not fair, and that's why Jesus went to the cross, because it wasn't fair that he died on the cross for our sins, but he did it anyway because he loves us. It's a sad place to be when you're hopeless, without Christ, without a Savior, facing only God's wrath. And perhaps you're listening to this message this morning, and you have never considered the fact that God is angry with the wicked every day. And I'd recommend you begin looking into to what it takes to be righteous before a holy God because being without hope and without Christ is no way to spend eternity. If you think it's bad today, wait until you die and you spend eternity separated from God. You say, well, Ryan, you're just full of cunningly devised fables. Well, 
you can say that. It, that does not affect me. It affects you because I know God is right. So make, make your calling and election sure. 279 years ago, a pastor and other, and not just a pastor, but pastors were concerned that people who called themselves Christian and were attending their church were actually uh, born again. They weren't just trying to gather crowds. They were actually concerned about the, the, the issues at hand, which is the, the condition of man's soul and his heart before a holy God. And so they would preach these, they would preach, can you imagine this? They preached sermons like that titled, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Man, you throw that on the billboard and everybody's going to run today. That's not the kind of way. Let's talk about anger. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. Joel Olstein, you know, if he preached that, man, he'd be the first one at the altar. So Jonathan Edwards based his sermon, that's who I'm referring to, Jonathan Edwards, uh, his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, on the passage from Deuteronomy 32 and verse 35. And it says this there in that passage, To me belong vengeance and recompense, their foot shall slide in due time. Now, this is God speaking. For the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things that shall come upon them make haste. So God is kind enough to send out a warning saying, Guys, they're, 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 they're sliding ever closer to destruction. They're sliding ever closer to a day of calamity. These things are, are, are fast upon them. We do not know what tomorrow shall bring, so we should be ready for not only tomorrow, but for all of eternity. This should be a passion in our heart. Today, we're gonna, we got these little things here that invite people to the harvest party. We're going to have a harvest party next week. What is that really about? It's not just about bringing the family together and having fun, though that is what's going to happen. But ultimately, in the soul of everybody in this church that's born again, we ought to be like motivated. The fact that we understand that we, people's feet are sliding every day, every moment, closer to a literal separation from God for all of eternity, a literal burning hell. That's, that, should, that should compel us. I mean, it's easy just to invite someone to come and have a party, just to make a friend, just say, come and hang out with us. But ultimately, what we want to do is invite people to Christ. So the preaching of Edward's message gripped the congregation, and, and it is credited as one of the sparks of the, great, the first great awakening in North America. The, day, uh, the date he preached that was July 8th of 1741, and, uh, and it would have done the colonists no good. It would have done them no good to declare a political liberation, right? And throw off King George 30-some years later if they wouldn't have first thrown off the spiritual bondage that they were in. You hear what I'm saying? It, it didn't do them any good in 1776, right? To throw off King George if they're still in bondage to sin and death. So there are some things, there are some messages. This is a time of messaging. A lot of people want to get your influence so that you can make a vote and you can stand with them and all of that. And that's, that's good. Everybody should be politically engaged, especially the body of Christ. Go for it. Vote for your conscience. But I need us to all understand that it doesn't do us any good. There is not one president in the world that will ever save this nation. The only person that can save the people in this nation is the Lord Jesus Christ. The only message people really got to hear is the message of the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when people's souls are liberated, everything else will follow. Because our freedom is not found in, in, in the government. Our freedom is found in Christ. And so those who think that, that this is just like an Old Testament type of thing, you need to understand that if you don't come to Christ on his terms, the New Testament s still stands. 
And Romans 12, 19 says, Dearly beloved, this is speaking directly to the church, says, You do not avenge yourselves, right? Avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. That is why we are ambassadors for Christ. That is why you cannot get too twisted around the axle about everything that's going on in society and everything that's coming across social media and all the things that trip your trigger. You cannot allow that to happen. Why? Because vengeance belongeth to the... Lord, and he is still angry with the wicked every day. And your role today, my role today, is that as an ambassador for Christ, if you're born again. Your job and my job is to say, wait a minute. Let me give you terms of peace. Let me give you an opportunity to escape the wrath that is rightly belonging to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me give you every opportunity to escape the vengeance of Almighty God, a holy God. A just God, a true God. In front of him, we're all together guilty. Every one of us, preacher included. But for the grace of God. But for Jesus Christ. But for his kindness and his love and his mercy. And the grace that I spoke of last week. We would all be forever bound in eternal hell. And Hebrews 10.30 says, For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. This isn't just a God I know about. This is the God who has indwelt me, who has sealed my soul, who has sealed your soul until the day of redemption. This is a God we have a personal relationship with. And so it's so important that we understand that. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We'll never settle, settle our anger issues unless we settle the issue of our salvation. In this same book of Ephesians, and many of you are familiar with Ephesians. I'm going through it on Wednesday night. In chapter 2, in verse 1, it says, And you, speaking to Christians, hath he quickened or brought to life, who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all, highlight that word all, had our conversation in times past, Hopefully that conversation is still in the, is in the past in our life. In time past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and we're by nature the children of, there it is, wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace ye are saved. Amen. Man, isn't it good to be saved? Amen. It is. It's so good to know that God is not angry with you, that God loves you. And again, if you're, if you're all messed up about God's view of you, you need to go back and listen to last week's message uh, because I, I lathered it up with grace. But the, but the blood of Christ is what atones for our sin and gives us the ability to make peace with God. It's the blood of Christ. In that same chapter, in verse 13, it goes on to say, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were or I mean, I'm sorry, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh, or brought close, right, by the blood of Christ, for he, he doesn't just make peace, he is our peace. Jesus Christ is our peace. So he not only brings, he is the peace that we have. You have Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is your peace. How do you overcome anger? Well, you bring peace into your midst, Right? You set a table in the presence of your enemies. 
and you feast with Jesus and you watch the things around you, uh, it doesn't mean the enemies go away, but you know what? You have peace even when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And all of a sudden, you fear no evil. His rod and his staff, they comfort you. His commandments are no longer grievous. They're actually, they're like a honeycomb. And you can't wait to get more of them because you know you have a personal relationship with the God of the universe and you're no longer a child of disobedience. You're no longer a child of wrath, but you're a child, a son of the living God, an heir according to the promises of God. You are someone now who has a stake in the kingdom of God. Wow, your whole identity changes. Your whole disposition changes. It's an incredible thing, and the the text goes on to say, For he is our peace who hath made us both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, the war, even the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, for to make himself of twain one new man, so making peace. That's a lot of words, but what that lawyer Paul is saying is that God removed all the obstacles to our fellowship. And and brings us in through his grace so that the law that that would have kept us away from God and judged us guilty has been placed upon him and he has been been crucified. His blood has been shed in our place as an acceptable sacrifice to God, allowing us now to be reconciled to the God of heaven through the Lord Jesus Christ. So what about that? Well, I'm glad you asked. You can't afford to to go on like Cain. You just can't. We can't live this way. You know, I remember, what was that, Elvis? You can't have suspicious minds. Well, you can't have angry hearts either. You just can't go on that way. You remember Cain in the Old Testament? Man, he was an angry man. He was angry because God's method that God chose did not include his works of righteousness. I mean, he was a farmer, man. He had a great bumper crop. He wanted to offer the work of his hands to God. But God said, no, I need you to go to your, your brother and, and get a sacrifice, because this is how I'm ordering it. And that's a problem. When we believe that we are good enough to justify ourselves, you know what, it, it don't, it is not, only, not only are we in peril, but it begins to ruin the relationships around us. Even if you don't know the Bible, and you don't even know the biblical definition of self-righteousness, you become self-righteous. And I, and I can say this with, with authority, because I've been there. I was as righteous, self-righteous as any Pharisee before I got saved. Because the things I didn't like, I fought against, even though I broke those rules, making me a number one hypocrite, and also despising those that I thought had harmed me. Therefore, I became self-righteous, operating by my own rules, which I couldn't keep, being a hypocrite, finally breaking me down, understanding that I needed something to reconcile me to a holy God, because I was lost. You know, it's easy to be angry. It's easy to get angry at everything around you and to carry anger and bitterness for things that happened in the past. And believe me, some of those things, I'm not, I'm not minimizing the offenses, by the way, because the offenses are real, and they are there. And there's reasons people are angry. There's reasons people get hurt. I get all that, and so understand that. I'm, actually, if you guys know me personally, uh, when I'm not up here in the pulpit preaching, you know I'm gracious with all that stuff. You know, But I also got to say, let's put this in the biblical context. You're not angry at your boss. You're not angry at your daddy. You're not angry at your mama. You're not angry at the kids or your dad or your mom or your dog. You're mad at yourself. And you're mad at God because you have lost control of your life. And you don't like the outcome. But I got great news today. You can have peace with God right now. 
You can deal with it today. This morning, the blood of Christ has, has brought God so near that you can feel the Spirit of God breathing upon your face. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And, and God wants to draw you to salvation. Would you yield your heart to Him? Would you bow your knee to Him? Would you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God? Would you allow Jesus to be who He is and be your Lord and Savior? The biggest problem a lost man or woman has is not their sin. Believe that or not. It's in how they handle Jesus and his sacrifice and his blood atonement. Our sin is huge, obviously. That's why God had to send his son to die. That's why the father gave his son. But the thing that condemns a man or a woman to hell is not their sin. It's the fact that they have not accepted the sacrifice for sin. You will go to hell because you bear the weight of your own sin for sure. But the real issue is you rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they? I mean, we got to go. We got to preach it. We got to tell people the truth that God loves them, that God sent his son for them, that God wants to reconcile them, that God does not want to pour his wrath upon them. The Father loves you so much that he gives his son as a sacrifice for sin so you can make peace through his blood. Abel, by the way, that was slain by Cain was a type of Christ, an innocent shepherd who was slain instead of the sacrifice that he was, he was going to provide. God asked Cain to bring this sacrifice. Hey, bring the sacrifice. Go get it from your brother. Instead of slaying a lamb that day, he slew his brother because he was angry. Cain didn't like the rules. He didn't like the way God set it up. And before we can apply what we've read in, in Ephesians 4, 26-32, we have to make peace with God because Ephesians 4 is not written to lost people. It's written to Christians. It's written to the people that have the capacity to process their anger. And listen to me this morning. If you've never come to Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are bound in a world that's, that's just terrible. And you need freedom from that bondage. You need to be liberated through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, through the gift of eternal life, through the grace of God Almighty. You need to be set free from the guilt and the shame and the anger and all the suffering that you've been living in. And that's why Jesus Christ came and died on the cross. How can we resist the goodness of God? The Bible says it leads us to repentance. And we understand that in spite of our sin, God sent his son anyway. Before we were even born, he provided the means of escape. Why? Because he loves us so much. Because the Father wants to be reconciled to us. And so maybe today you're listening. and you need, Maybe you're online. Maybe you're in here. And you need to be born again. Man, you need to do that today. Because warning those who refuse to make peace with God is also important. I know the day that I accepted Christ, I was so... I was, I was, Man, I tell you what, guys, I knew that God had sent me the message one more time. I'd heard the gospel. I'd rejected the gospel. But there was a day in my life when the Spirit of God made it so clear to me that I needed to be born again, that I could not, I was afraid if I did not get saved, I would never hear the, that good news again. I'd never hear the grace of God again. And so I just want to give you a warning to those who want to refuse to make peace with God. And believe me, there are some out there that are. that resist the goodness and the grace of God. They want to stay in their hurt. They want to stay a victim. They want to stay in their pain. If you continue to deny the love of God and refuse his sacrifice, you too will be like Pharaoh and your heart will become so hard you'll eventually seal your own fate and get the desires of your wicked heart. And God forbid that any of us would be in that camp. And I pray nobody in the sound of my voice is. But in Proverbs 8 and verse 36, the Bible says, But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me, the Lord Jesus, they love death. If you don't receive life, guess what you're choosing? You're choosing death. If you pass on Jesus' grace, you're passing on, on life. You're passing on grace. You're passing on love. And you're continuing death. 
I pray you receive Christ's gift before it's too late. Those who do not receive the Lord Jesus today will be beguiled and receive an antichrist tomorrow. And I say that upon the authority of Scripture because 2 Thessalonians 2 tells us in verse 7, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Now that was Paul in the first century. This is a couple, this is a couple uh, millennia later, 2,000 years later. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. For this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they might be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Yeah, I'm just going to you know, take the highway to hell. I'm going to go hang out with Angus Young, and we're going to party it up in hell. Man, that's the foolish, most foolish, stupid thing I've ever heard. I've, heard I've, I've been with people that say that kind of stupid stuff. Man, repent while you have a chance. Don't be so foolish as to think that's really how it's going to be. Take the Word of God seriously, for goodness sake, for Christ's sake. Take the Word of God serious and, and receive the grace of God while you have it. Con- do not continue in that foolishness. And so I'd like to offer right now, I'm not even done with my message, but if you're here this morning and you don't, and you don't know the Lord Jesus and you want to know Him in a personal way, you're like, Brian, you are talking to me, you're in my wheelhouse, today is a day I need to get saved, then do, you can do that right now. You can simply, if anybody here right now is like, Brian, I want to settle that. That's my biggest need today, just right now where you are heads up and eyes open you just say that's me you raise your hand right here where you are anybody anyone at all because i don't feel comfortable just going past this point without giving everybody in here an opportunity if you're online if you need to be saved you can call us 380-3033 you can uh, there's a text line and all that other stuff you can get a hold of us we'll talk to you go contact at hbfcast.org i will personally answer your questions and talk to you further about this subject because if that's if that's where you are Man, you need to stop right now and get that settled. I don't even want to finish my message. That's the most, you're so important, I'll stop my message. I'll stop church right here for you. Is there anybody at all right now? You say, Brian, I know God is telling me right now I need to be saved. One more time. Anybody over here? In the middle? I know you guys are used to me doing that with heads bowed and eyes closed. But I'm not doing that today. All right. If that's stern in your heart and you're like, Brian, I am just paralyzed in fear and I know God's talking to me. I am ready to hide under the seat. You are getting in my head. Listen, that's just the spirit of God getting in your heart. And so what I'd ask you to do is hang on as I finish this message. And at the end, I'll have a more discreet way for you to respond. But don't put it off. Don't put it off. Okay, let's do some work. Let's, in the time we have left, let's, let's look at what arresting anger means really to us as a Christian. So the first thing you got to do, if you want to arrest anger, you got to make peace with God, right? Because if you're not saved, <laughs> man, you're in trouble. But once you get saved, you know what? Even those of us that are saved, we still struggle with anger, don't we? How many of us struggle with anger? Amen. We all do. At times, we all get honked off. <laughs> and, and more and more as the day of the Lord draws closer, right? So, so we get there. So maintain peace with others. That's what we really got to maintain because you have peace with God. If you're born again, you've got peace with God. We talked about it last week. Man, you have God's peace and you got that. But anger is an emotion and it becomes sin when we allow it to control us instead of us controlling it. And so, you know, I, I like to correct certain things in the culture that are not true. Like fear is not a liar, right? Fear is an emotion. Satan is a liar. You just study it out in the Bible. Well, sin uh, or anger, I'm sorry, is not, is not sin either. It's an emotion, 
right? God gives us emotions like fear and anger. They're not always sinful. They're not always lying. But oftentimes they can be used if we don't handle those emotions, right? If we don't let the Spirit of God control us, then certainly those emotions can become sinful, whether it's fear, whether it's anger. That's why we're talking about those things because we live in a very emotional environment today in our culture. So God is clear through Paul's teaching that we need not carry anger more than about 12 hours, <laughs> right? If you need a clock for you engineers in the house, you scientists, how long is, is, is a season here not to be angry? Well, let's just say 12 hours, right? I'm not saying that's inspired at all, but he says in verse 26, be ye angry, it happens, right? I get it, and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. So he's saying before the sun sets, deal with it. Don't carry anger over. Anybody ever allow anger to carry over from day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year? Well, that's a great way. I guarantee you, whoever your object of of anger is toward, uh, your relationship isn't very good. There's probably distance there. There's probably distress there. And if you're forced to live under the same roof, there's probably wrath there. Because God's already set it forth. He says, hey, deal with it. Deal with it. Make sure you deal with anger before it becomes sin. Now, Genesis 4, the Bible says in verse 6, The Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, thou shalt, uh, shalt thou not be accepted? Even in Cain's instance, when we look in Genesis, God is gracious to say, Cain, hey, man, (laughs) I get it. You're honked off. That's a great bumper crop you have. I appreciate your hard work, pal. But I'm working a picture here. I'm working a type that you don't quite understand, but work with me here. Hey, listen, I get that you're angry. Just, you know what? You need to roll that anger up and do what I tell you because the blessing's with you, big boy. You know, just just be a man about this, Cain, and, and do what I tell you. Obey, just like you learned when you was a little boy. Obey. Children obey, right? That's all you got to do. If thou doest well, thou shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Job says this in Job 11 and verse 14. If iniquity be in thine hand, put it far away, and let not wickedness dwell in thy tabernacles. You know what he's saying is uh, get away from the... Get away from the sin associated with wrath and wickedness. Put it far away. Hey, Cain, uh, you need to deal with this because sin lieth at the door. You're given place. So God was gracious to allow Cain to work through his emotions of anger. If he would have only obeyed God's word, he would not have murdered his brother. and, And he would have benefited from obeying God because he was still the elder brother. And in obedience, God's blessing would have been poured out upon him. But it required something, which was humility. It required humility on his part. Oftentimes we like to stay in our angry condition just simply because we're prideful. A short fuse is, an un, is unwise and ungodly. I've got several verses listed. I'm going to run through these quickly, so bear with me. But I just want to read these off uh, for time's sake, but also just because they're self-explanatory. Proverbs 14, 17 says, He that is soon angry dealeth foolishly, and a man... Uh, of wicked devices is hated. Titus 1.7 says, For a bishop, if you're a pastor, you must be blameless, the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry. You can't have a, a short fuse. Not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre. 
Proverbs 15 and verse 18, A wrathful man stirreth up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeases strife. Proverbs 16, 32 says, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. He that ruleth his, uh, his spirit than he that taketh the city. Man, if you can control anger, you are, you are like a, a mighty man of God. Ecclesiastes 7, 9 says, Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry. For anger resteth in the bosom of fools. Man, if you, if you dwell with a crowd that, that sees anger as a virtue, I mean, you guys know what I'm talking about. Some of us were raised in that kind of environment. Anger is a virtue. The more you pop off, the, the cooler you are, the stronger you are, the better you are. Hey, I used to live that too. I understand all that stuff. But listen, once you get saved, Jesus changes all that. It doesn't make you any less of a man. It doesn't make you, any le- make you any weaker. As a matter of fact, the more you control your temper, the stronger you are. Amen. That's what the Bible says. So you've got to make a decision, big man. Who are you going to follow? Are you going to follow the guys at work because whatever? Or are you going to follow Jesus Christ and be a real man? I'm glad you came this morning because I need you to follow Jesus Christ and step it up. Don't be a fool. So James says this, and, and I'm going to come back to this in a minute, but it says uh, in, in James 1, 19, Wherefore, be, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not right, the righteousness of God. When you're all stirred up and ready to wring somebody's neck, I can promise you what James says is you're not working the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ, by the way, is the righteousness of God. You're not manifesting Christ. Moses allowed his short fuse to delay God's call in his life 40 years. Moses was, he was fired up. I mean, uh, he had a heart to see God's people delivered. And, and he was right in, in what his, his intentions were, but he was wrong in the execution because he let his temper get a hold of him. Right? That he, he, he let it get a hold of him. And, and we know that he, he killed the Egyptian in Exodus 2 and verse 11. It says, And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out unto his brethren and looked on the burdens and spied an Egyptian, smiting a Hebrew, and it just fired him up. And, and one of his brethren, and, and he looked this way, and he looked that way, because it wasn't right, right? He's like, who's watching? And then you know what he did? He went after it. And when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. But you know what was in God's heart is recorded in Hebrews 11 and verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was come of years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. He identified with the, the burden of the Hebrews, not with the, not with the elitists of, of Egypt. He was, he was wanting to see his people uh, where God wanted them, and he was choosing rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater than the riches and the treasure of Egypt, for he had respect and the recompense of the reward. The problem was, is he let his temper get a hold of him, and what God had for him was delayed. And he went from a prince of Egypt to a fugitive in the wilderness. Man, some of us are like that, aren't we? Our anger, man, is so severe that it's ended up causing us to have distance in the relationships with the very people that we love. Because we've made mistakes in our past. And maybe you're here this morning, you feel like Moses. You're like, Brian, I am the redeemed of the Lord. I am the guy that I knew God had a, had a plan for me, but now you just feel like you're wandering around taking care of someone's sheep in the wilderness. You're so far away from God. But I tell you, there's people praying right now, and they need the Lord, and God needs you in service. 
And God needs you to hear a message that will get you back engaged because Moses learned the hard way that you cannot solve injustice with injustice. You can't solve injustice with injustice. And that also occurred when Jacob's sons murdered Hamor and Shechem after they submitted to the circumcision to identify with the covenants of Jehovah so Shechem could wed Diana in the Old Testament, Genesis. I forget the chapter right now. And the slaughter of Hamor's seed was such a great injustice uh, because they were making a deal with Jacob and they were, they were going to get into the covenant of Israel just to reconcile something that was wrong in that relationship because he didn't honor their sister. And, and by the way, they had every right to be angry. They should have been angry. They, were, they had every right to defend their sister, but they didn't have the right to be deceitful and kill people in the guise of growing close to Christ. That's like taking the gospel out to somebody and then slaying them, using the gospel to disarm them and then taking their life. That's exactly what was going on in the Old Testament. Man, that was so dishonorable. Jacob was like, what a reproach you have brought upon our name. You can't solve injustice, beloved, with injustice. Today, many want to solve racism with, well, racism. That makes no sense at all. That foolishness plays right into Satan's hands and it and it, it creates animosity between races and nations as jesus said nation will rise against nation someday there'll be a worldwide political savior just a- after the catching away of the church during the beginning of sorrows when he fulfills revelation 6 2 and he'll come in and he'll be a peacemaker but instead of bringing the message of god he's going to be bringing evil for good and good for evil there are times when righteous anger is justified in Titus 1.13, the Bible says, This witness is true, wherefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. That's as close as you get. But there's times when you do got to get a little bit animated. And God never rebuked Moses for breaking the Ten Commandments when he, re- he returned from Mount Sinai and found the children of Israel playing, did he? In Exodus 32 and 19, it says, And it came to pass, as soon as he came nigh into the camp, he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses Anger waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hands and break them beneath the mount. I mean, that's God's word. That's the first written copy of God's word. Bam! Busted right up there on the, on, the, uh, on the rocks. And he took a calf, which they had made, and burned it in fire, and ground it to powder, and strawed it upon the water, and made the children of Israel to drink it. You don't think Moses was a little hot? He was hot. God didn't say a word about that. All the punishment meted out by Moses occurred that day. And the following day, Moses went up and made intercession for the children of Israel. And, the, and, the, and by the way, 3,000 men were killed because that day they had a decision to make. Are you going to follow Moses or are you going to follow the way that leads to Baal? And 3,000 of them said, we'll take Baal. And the sword came down on their life. The consequences of being soon angry, Moses also learned, were very high. This was a lifelong issue for him, and it's a lifelong issue for many of us. Moses and God both struggled with Israel's disobedience and stubborn nature throughout the journey in the wilderness. Nevertheless, God judged Moses harshly for allowing the hard-hearted nature of Israel to get him to smite the rock twice when God only commanded him to smite it once. In Numbers chapter 20 and verse 11, it says, And Moses lifted up his hand, and and with the rod he smote the rock twice, and, and the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank. God provided through the picture, but it didn't go well for Moses. Not only did they drink, their beasts drank also. And, and the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because ye believe me not, 
to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. Moses, you let your temper short-circuit my plan for you. Now, we all know God has a, has a fix for that, too, because God's full of grace, and Moses is going to get into the promised land in days yet future. But the reality is this, is that he allowed his anger to short-circuit what God had for him that day, and he, he messed up the picture, the picture that, that God had. So many times we can let our emotions mess up the picture. You know, I'm married to my wife, but you know what? Amy and I are a picture of Christ and the church. If I allow my anger to get a hold of me, guess what I'm going to mess up? I'm going to mess up that picture. So, dude, before you think that anger is just one of those things and my daddy did it and I'm going to do it also, hey, you better be careful because you could mess up a picture. You could mess up a picture. And when Moses messed up a picture, when he was in charge to lead, God saw that said, Moses, that's it. I'm putting you on the shelf, pal. Now, that isn't, that Moses isn't a great guy. Moses is a wonderful man. But the reality is we've got to be careful with the picture. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're born again and you're, you're struggling with anger. I pray today will be a breakthrough in your heart and your life. Now, let me, let me just wrap this up because we've got to get done. But arresting anger is also a decision. It's a decision. And praise God, if you're born again, you can make it. That's an awesome thing. Arresting anger is a decision every Christian can make. In our text that we saw in verses 26 through 32, we see that. Paul says, let not, your, not, let, let not the sun go down on your wrath. In Ephesians 4.26, that's a decision. Neither give place to the devil. Verse 27, that's a decision. Let bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. That's a decision. Paul's saying, just, just don't let it happen. And be, not, and be kind. Not only those are the kind of the negatives, but the positive in verse 32. And, and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. What a decision that we can make and model. And what a motivation for forgiveness. Arresting anger is a decision every Christian should make. It's not just a decision you can make. It's not just a decision I can make. It's a decision I should make. It lies with us. How long are we going to hang on to anger? You know, God gives us the Lord's Supper as often as we like to do that. We do it, you know, about every quarter around here. What is that really all about? Well, that's all about dealing with our issues. It's about laying aside things and letting things go so that we can model Christ, just like verse 32 speaks, speaks to. Don't use anger as an excuse for bad behavior. If you're saved, you can choose to walk in the Spirit. In James 4.17, the Bible says, Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So perhaps your biggest, your biggest issue isn't anger. Maybe it's not wrath, not being tempered, having a hot temper. Maybe your biggest issue is you really just don't want to walk in the Spirit. And you love your flesh. And if you deal with that issue, and you dealt with the real core issue, perhaps the other things would get much better. If you're an abuser and blaming your temper, I need you to stop it right now. If you name the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, stop it before I call the police. I'm just kidding, kind of. I mean, really. There's no excuse for a man of God to live like that. Stop it. If you're accustomed to being abused and make excuses and take the blame for someone abusing you, stop it. Stop it. I understand that you can be in fear, and that's a whole other topic we covered. Get help. help. Let us help you uh, do what it takes. But that is not God's will, and he needs you to stop enabling that. 
There's so much I want to say, but I can't. So I'm just going to leave that there. If you need, let me just say this. If you need help, man, that's what we're here for. Let us know. Uh, maybe you're the, 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 the aggressor or maybe you're the victim. But, I mean, there's, that needs to stop. And it can if you're born again. If you name the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, it can stop. Praise the Lord. There's hope. There's victory. Arresting anger has some directives as well. Don't give place to the devil, Paul says in verse 27. Refusing to forgive those God has forgiven gives the devil a place in your relationships. Who is it this morning that God is saying, you know, Brian, or put your name in the blank. You have not really forgiven this person or that person. Hey, I'm not saying whatever they've done to you is justifiable. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not saying that they didn't hurt you, they didn't harm you, they didn't, they don't. I'm not saying that God's vengeance doesn't lie upon them. I'm just saying, have you forgiven them? Have you been able to say, you know what, God, I'm going to give this, this wrath over to you so that I can go about your business? You say, but Brian, you don't understand. I'll tell you, I don't understand. But I know someone who does, and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. That is his testimony. And so when we consider Christ and how he prayed for his disciples, washed their feet, shared the Passover with them, knowing all but John was going to walk away and Judas was going to betray him. And he, what did he do? He forgave us anyway. Now he forgave us, he resurrects, and then he uses them. So Peter asked Jesus in Matthew 18, 21, he says, man, how many times do I got to turn my cheek, right? How many times do I need to forgive those that will just keep making the same mistake? And of course, being the good Bible student he is, Peter says, how many times? Anybody remember? Seven. No, no, that's, Peter says, seven times. Yeah, you know, what did Jesus say? Seventy times seven, right? 490 times, Peter. And then he busts into this story, this parable, that he says, hey, there's a king and he had some servants and... Their servants were going to lose their families because they were in so much debt, so the king had mercy. All right? And I'm paraphrasing it. You can find that, that story back there in Matthew 18. And, and then he says, hey, uh, you're forgiven. But the, the servant goes out and then extorts everybody else for their cash and has no compassion. The king wasn't happy about that, was he? He says, I'm going I'm, I'm to have vengeance on that. Beloved, we've been given so much grace. We can't afford not to give it to everybody else. You have been forgiven. I've been forgiven so much. You can't pass on forgiveness because we've been forgiven more than 490 times. We often don't forgive because we don't really appreciate the forgiveness we've received and, and was required to redeem us. It should be hard to hold a grudge against another when God has freely forgiven you. And that's the truth, but it's often hard to work out, isn't it? You know, in 2 Corinthians, Paul had a situation there. That guy that was, it was so bad, he actually told the church. He didn't just say, oh, grace unto it. He says, that sin is so bad, you kick that guy out because everyone sees it's a reproach. You can't have your dad's, uh, you can't have your dad's wife. That is just wrong. Even the world knows that. Kick him out. Turn him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his soul might be saved. Right? Let him, let him hit the wall now so that he can understand he needs salvation. Anyway, the guy repents. Actually, Paul never said he was lost. He just said, let him go out and let Satan have his way so his soul will be redeemed. So he goes out and he comes back and he's forgiven. So Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 2, 10, he says, to whom you forgive anything, I forgive also, no problem, for I forgive, it, I forgive anything to whom I forgive it. Or for if I forgave anything to whom I forgive it, for your sakes forgive I in the person of Christ. 
lest Satan should get an advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. You know how God likes to divide up a home, a marriage? Anger, bitterness, wrath. You know how he likes to divide up your home? Same way. You know how he likes to divide the church? Same way. But beloved, we're not ignorant of his devices. And so we need to understand God's directives. Don't give place to, the, to, the, to wrath and also do the work. It's interesting because verse 28, I was, was going to skip over verse 28, and I got to reading that. I'm like, really, what's that got to do with anything? And then God really settled it in my heart where he talks about let him that steals steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands. It's important that we work. Why? Because you don't want to be a freeloader. The Bible tells us if we don't work, we don't eat in 2 Thessalonians 3.10. And Exodus 20 and verse 15 tells us, you know, that we should not steal. But what's that all about? Well, there's a better way to cause, or there's a, there's a better way to cause consternation. And stir, there's no better way, I'm sorry, to cause consternation and stir up anger than to be a thief. To be a, there's, there's no better way to get people fired up at you than to start stealing their stuff. Right now, it's so important to understand this because for the past 100 years, the Marxist philosophy of wealth re- redistribution and the utopian socialist society, communism for short, that theory has ravished nation after nation from Russia to China to Africa to Southeast Asia to South, Central Amer- South and Central America. And now, of course, it's very popular in vogue in the USA. The Marxist philosophy has stirred up hatred among nations through social, religious, and economic strife why is that? Because they want to allocate people's private property to the collective, thereby causing great strife and consternation. Because we all know the only people that, that benefit from that are the people who run the show. And so there is nothing that will stir up strife like Satan robbing you of your life, liberty, and your property through thievery and wealth redistribution. And I'm not even talking about types. But if you have that kind of environment in a, in a society, well, how do you overcome that? You, dis, you, like, you have to understand that there's a judge in heaven. Because where that eventually plays out, if you know your, your Bible and you know where things are going, there's a reason those seals get opened in the book of Revelation. Because there's a man of sin came, coming to claim with a global government this property, this earth, and all the people that live here. That's all on the agenda, beloved. I mean, that, we already know that's coming. So we don't have to get all worked up about it. We've already read the end of the story. But we're still here. So in the meantime, what we do is we let that wrath go. We don't give place to it. We let God deal with that. And we preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and get as many people out from under that bondage as we can. Because as I started my message at the very beginning, our liberty never comes from the government anyway. It comes from Christ. That's where it comes from. So watch your words. Watch your words, verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that may minister grace unto the hearers. Words are tools to help with anger or stir anger up. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. In the Old Testament, Abigail understood this. as David was fired up at her husband, uh, Nabal. He was such a jerk to David. David had protected him. David had defended his property. And then Nabal's like, Who's David? I mean, isn't he Saul's servant? He's a, he's a dog, you know. And then David is—he got under David's skin. David was soon angry. But but Nabal's lovely wife Abigail rolls out, meets his men, feeds them, 
gives David a soft answer, talks him off the edge of the cliff and says, hey, David, you don't want to do this, man. You are a mighty man of God. Everyone knows it. My husband's an idiot stick. Just give him space. And David thanks her and says, thank you, Abigail. I was just about to go take care of every man in your, in your, uh, in your husband's uh, domain. We were going to kill them all. I mean, David, you have to go back and read this story. Uh, and he, thank you for keeping me from sinning. Thank you for appeasing my wrath. And, and you know what? Grace unto it. Of course, Abigail goes on to become one of David's wives. But, you know, he said, go up in peace to thine house. See, I have hearkened to thy voice and have accepted thy person. And, of course, ten days later, Nabal was dead. He got drunk that night, had a big party. The next morning, his wife comes in and says, hey, Nabal, by the way, I went and had a talk with David just so he wouldn't come and kill you. And as she's speaking, his heart got harder and harder like a stone, the Bible says. And ten days later, he was gone. Vengeance belongeth unto the Lord. God has given us two ears. One, two, one mouth. You wouldn't know that by listening to me, I know. But we should... I'm guilty too. I don't want lightning to hit. But we should spend twice as much time listening as we do speaking. Quick to hear. Quick to hear. Slow to speak. Slow to wrath. That's what James says. For wrath, the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. When we do speak, are we speaking good and gracious words? Are we being constructive or destructive? The text goes on to say to tell us to avoid foolish jesting and fair speeches and flattering words and avoid hard speeches that stir up strifes. These are other commandments in the New Testament. And, and speak words that, that build others. There are some people who get this right. And when you're around them, it, it fills your soul. There's lots of people that get this. They speak positive things, encouraging things. There's nothing wrong with that. We should all do that. Don't let anyone separate you from the Word of God. Read Proverbs 4, which I don't have time for, but there's a passage there. If you read the whole thing, it's absolutely perfect for this message. But one of the passages says this, Hear, O, o my son, and receive my sayings, and the years of thy life shall be many. If you need positive words, you've got a whole book of positive words right here. Man, fill up to your heart's content. Eat the honeycomb, and let God encourage your heart, because those words will build you up. Proverbs speaks of a wife who is a continual drip and a very contentious woman who puts the husband where he's better off on the corner of the housetop. You can ruin your marriage if you fill your heart with vanity and become nagging, complaining. And that doesn't just apply to women. That can apply to husbands as well. Your spouse and your children would prefer to hide on a corner of a housetop than to listen to the words that constantly come and tear people down. Those are decisions Christians can make. I don't care how you were raised, it's time to change it. It's time to do what God wants you to do. And then you need to walk in the Spirit. I've already touched on this, so I'm going to be quick because I'm out of time. Over time, sorry about that. But the last two verses of chapter 4. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Our attitude and actions grieve the Godhead. The Holy, the Holy Ghost, the person of Christ that's in us, can literally be grieved uh, by our actions. And he can be quenched when we, don't do what, when we don't obey his commands. And so Paul knows that charity never fails. And as, if we walk in the Spirit, the strife will cease. 
In Galatians 5.22, the Bible says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law, right? And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh and the affections and lusts. So Paul writes in Ephesians 5.31 and 32 very plainly, This is not a suggestion but a commandment to let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away, divorce it from our lives, and replace it with sincerity, with charity, with kindness. Right? Tenderness. And so this morning, I want us to understand that it's simply a decision to obey. Before you can come and and tell me how angry you are at someone that's wronged you, what I need you to do is forgive them. You don't even need my help for that. You can do that on your own. Because God gives you the grace to do that. Now, don't misunderstand me. There are times you need to work through things. So don't, I'm not just saying it's as easy as pie. There are times, and you're in an environment where we're here to help you. But when we help you, we're going to keep reminding you of what the Word of God says. And we're going, to keep, uh, we're going to keep applying it. And so this morning, we've seen two simple things, and they're two for a reason. Because dealing with anger is like, two, it's like dealing with a sharp two-edged sword. One edge of that thing, if you've you got anger issues and you need to deal with them and you're not saved, the first side of that sword is you need to make peace with God. The other side of that sword is if, if you're a Christian, and you just can't seem to have victory in this area, I'm telling you, you've got to make peace with others. If God's forgiven you, you cannot withhold your forgiveness from anybody else. You've got to find the grace of God, the Spirit of God's ability to help you forgive others that you feel have wronged you and they don't deserve forgiveness. And you've got to turn the judgment over to someone else, and that someone else is Christ, and trust God that he will deal with it adequately. And what he does is okay. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Let's stand together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. As we conclude, I pray, God, that this message would be profitable.